You don't want to miss this event by Les Brown, the number one motivational speaker in the world and the keynote for the Hungry for Greatness virtual conference on Saturday, June 12th at 10 a.m. Eastern. For a limited time only, tickets are free. So sign up now while seats are available at HungryLegacy.com forward slash sign up. You'll be energized, inspired. You got to be hungry for greatness. Whatever business you're in, growth isn't just about getting bigger. At ADP, we believe it's about getting stronger by turning data into insights so you can build teams that work as teams. By using our AI technology to help catch payroll errors before their errors. And by keeping ahead of thousands of changing regulations so you can keep ahead of everything else. ADP helps businesses like yours grow stronger every day. ADP, HR talent, time, and payroll. The cannabis industry is evolving at a radical pace, progressing toward the green peak. Each week, join Richard Zwicky, a cannabis visionary and entrepreneur, as he interviews experts from around the globe to discuss updates and evolutions in the world of cannabis. Let's make that climb together up the, the green, green peak. peak with your host, Richard Zwicky. Hi, everybody. I'm Richard Zwicky with uh, Green Peak. And joining us today, we have Andres Vasquez out of Lima, Peru, who is one of the managing partners at an operation called CanFarm, the first uh, licensee with a production license in Peru. Welcome aboard, Andres. Hi, Richard. Thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure to be in the show. Yeah. And, you know, you and I met um, almost four years ago now. Yes. Um, before legalization had happened and as we were discussing uh, going through the path and everything else, it's been quite the journey. Yes, indeed. It has been very long, I would say successful at this moment, uh, but interesting journey. Yeah, congratulations on that license. I know that uh, it's uh, going to be a heavily sought after um, item because unlike some other countries, you know, when the regulations were set up for Peru, one of the requirements was uh, companies that applied for the production license actually have to have built a facility to receive the license, which you've gone through and a lot of others are still looking around and trying to figure out how to move forward. What were the challenges you faced um, being the first licensee? Obviously the first one faces different challenges than the next one who has a roadmap. Yes, yes, that's what we expect. Uh, and we, we definitely, uh, have the, the hope that the following companies will have, I, I would say, a smoother path. So I would say that the first challenge, Richard, I think is no different from other countries, was the fact that uh, the authorities were not used to dealing with this new regulation that, that was approved and this new product and a new industry. So I would say that the first, uh, I would say, not an obstacle, but, but a challenge was to work with authorities auditors, regulators that were learning while doing, not mm -hmm. while reviewing the first files. So I think that's, that's the first thing. And as you mentioned, obviously the way our regulation is established in, in, in the sense that we have to build first and apply later, I would say it, it, was, it was a requirement. We didn't see that as an obstacle. It was just the way things were made here. Yeah, and that was actually, you know, that was a 
thought out step in the process because I know from you know my discussions with the government early on, one of the things they were concerned about was avoiding the speculation on flipping of licenses like happened in Colombia. Mm-hmm. And they wanted the companies that operate in Peru to be real and not to have that, you know, that that noise so that they could focus on what was necessary, both from the perspective of, you know, the reputational issues, but also from the perspective of they have to assign a certain amount of staff to every one of the licenses and they don't want to waste their time. And so the, you know, the whole perspective of having that forced in there that companies who wanted to operate actually had to um, be real for want of a better term was, was a thoughtful part of the process. And it seems to have worked. So you've, you've been through that and, you know, you have a real business and uh, that's meaningful. Yes, I think I think that if you if you see this process from the perspective of the authorities, I agree with you. It was a good approach for them because I mean it is no secret that Peru is a country. I mean we are not you know overwhelmed with resources in, in the government, so mm-hmm. people is limited. The time of the people is limited, and with this approach, they were able. I would say with a minimum uh, trained staff or stuff in training, I would say, they were able to review the file. There has been some bottlenecks, yes, but I would say that at these moments, you feel more the bottleneck in the process of registering products than the license themselves. Right. Now, as far as next steps for you know you and others who would be going down the path, You've got the license, you're able to, you know, you have a facility which is licensed to produce, but you haven't started growing yet, I don't believe. Um, And there's the acquisition of the genetics um, that is a necessary step, but then Peru is much better placed than some other countries for exports afterwards. What's, you know, what's your timeline to production at this point? At this point, uh, so you were precise on, on the next step. The next step is securing the genetics. At these moments, um, uh, the authorities have uh, established phytosanitary protocols with two potential countries of origin. This mm-hmm. is Colombia and the United States. Uh, it is evidently possible that other countries will be added as potential origin for genetics, but at this moment, you can only work with these two sources, I would say. Mm-hmm. In our case, we chose to work with Colombia. The process itself of the import of the of the seeds in this case, because we are required at this moment to import seed, um, is honestly is quite simple. It's more on the agricultural process, more than a cannabis itself process. And uh, so we estimate that we should be able within uh, the month of May to have genetics on, on in Peru. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we have to always expect some delays. It will be the first cannabis genetic import in the country, so there can be some delays. But sometime around May, we expect that those seeds will be available here. And then our plan, uh, if everything goes uh, uh, you know, accordingly to, to what we've uh, estimated, is that we should start our first crop. It's a small crop, basically to validate the performance of the seeds. Uh-huh. It will be on June. Uh-huh. Uh, so we expect that that will be a crop that should be out uh, late September, October. It's, it's, those are, even in our region, 
those would be like the colder months in the year. Yeah, that's the winter. So yes, exactly. So, uh, which which on the other hand is a challenging time of the year to test the performance of the genetics. But you know, this is what uh, we we rather do now than just wait for half a year. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, you'd start a, a domestic breeding program and everything else as part of the follow through. Yeah, that's what we expect. Now, to, to be completely honest, it's part of the learning curve with the authorities. Uh -huh. uh, authority has not, uh, the authorities have not yet issued the guidelines for uh, breeding or propagation. So right. at this moment, uh, the only guidelines that have been issued is uh, allow you to import seed, put those seeds on the ground, have a direct crop out of those seeds, which, as we all know, we, become, we will not have the same homogeneity than working with clones would allow us, but this is how we are going to start. And we expect that in the following months, the authorities will issue the pending guidelines, uh, which would allow us in our, maybe not the first cycle, but at least in the second cycle to start the breeding program. Yes, no, absolutely. So, you know, Peru, I mean, obviously, I think our listeners know, and you know, of course, Andres, having our conversations over the years. I mean, I look at it in terms of it's, nat it's nature's greenhouse, and it's mm -hmm. the ideal conditions in the world for producing uh, cannabis. Um, the soil is spectacular, um, and there's a reason why Peru produces so much of the world's food and has, is capable of producing so much more. Um, but... You know, obviously, the the issue is going to become the commercialization of it. There's a there's a domestic market in Peru. There's a lot of demand, and a lot of people have uh, registered for product. But really, it's the world export markets. How how does Ken Farm look at it, and what are your hopes for the next twelve months? So at the beginning, as you said, uh, our initial uh, focus, uh, because of the, I would say, the spirit uh, behind the company, is to work locally. So our first cycles, three or four cycles, will be basically aimed to provide our uh, present commercial partners and some new ones that may arise the ingredients for local products. We're really thinking of, uh, of uh, second half next year to be facing the international markets. Uh -huh. And at the beginning, obviously, because of the time, as you know, that it takes to formulate and stabilize uh, a finished product, we'll basically working on the uh, ingredient market. So basically providing, uh, proposing ingredients, extracts, uh, taking the advantage of our locals. And at the same time, we are expecting that we will be able to work with the authorities um, in order to have the ability also uh, to export flour. That's still to be uh, finalized with the authority. But as you know, there is already a market, an international market for uh, flour. So that will be also an interesting approach looking to next year. Yeah, and unlike Colombia, it's a very clear process for the uh, for the exports. It's just going through it the first time is always going to be the, the challenge and the roadblock. We have to take a break, but we'll be back uh, with more on uh, on the Green Peak with Andres Vasquez from Can Farm. I'm Richard Zwicky. The Green Peak will climb back into your podcast player after we play some messages from our sponsors. Elevate your every day with that Shuggies feeling with the sweet taste of Shuggies. 
Add a cup of Shuggies to your morning coffee. Ah, how sweet it is. Shuggies infuses cannabis and cane sugar to make it the perfect sweetener with benefits. Make your happy hour happier with a dunk of Shuggies in your drink. Order your Shuggies now at S-H-O-O-G-I-E-S dot com or find it in dispensaries throughout California. Whenever you crave a little sweet, pick up Shuggies, the sweet, sweet, take-anywhere treat. Climbing our way up, up, up to the Cannabis Summit of Success. Cannabis Radio is back with more of the Green Peak. Back on the Green Peak with Andres Vasquez from CanFarm. And Andres, you know, we were speaking a bit about, uh, just before the break, um, walking through the different steps of the process. And obviously exports is really part of what's going to separate Peru from um, other producers in uh, in the region, most notably Colombia, which, you know, the government of Colombia committed years ago to allowing all exports and unfortunately has been much more restricted. Whereas when we worked on, you know, and you and I both, I think, worked on uh, parts of the regulatory framework. I know you were working on it with, uh, with a number of groups and I was working on parts of it as well. And, you know, that was always contemplated as one of the necessary steps. But government and, you know, the government, of course, needs to walk slowly and carefully through the entire process because they're being very mindful of making sure they do things right, which should be applauded. Mm -hmm. Um, But with that, you know, people shouldn't underestimate the value of the Peruvian market, even domestically. It's a country of 33 odd million people. Canada, which is 37 million, um, has many multi-billion dollar cannabis companies operating within it. Now, Peru's going to be different. It comes a bit later to the game, but production cost-wise, I mean, I, I did the math when I was still at Plana um, as we were developing out the, you know, and I was developing out the models and where, you know, in Canada, you're still producing for over a dollar um, a gram for medical cannabis and Colombia, I got it down to about seven cents and, you know, other companies I know are running 15 to 20. Peru, the model allows for close to three cents a gram. Yes, it's not it doesn't happen on the first crop, but you know that's consistent with other crops um, that have been developed in Peru. And you've got a tremendous amount of experience and background. You and your partner Tony um, have a tremendous background in general agriculture. What are you seeing as the cost advantages, and what is it that separates Peru from other locales for growing that you think is going to apply into cannabis? Uh, well, Richard, I would say in order to get to, to the core of the question, I will not do the comparison with, with North America or at our latitudes. So let's let's see uh, Colombia, mm-hmm. which, which will be the real, I think, the real competition and similar countries with similar cost structures. I would say that one of the key things while uh, developing this crop is how are you going to face uh, the pests? Or, or, or disease mm-hmm. in the yep. crop. And, and this is an experience that comes, very similar experience that uh, uh, happened with the blueberries here. Mm-hmm. So here is, is, is uh, this, uh, the disease control affects you in two ways. One, obviously, is the impact of the disease itself, which will reduce your yields, okay, and affect overall quality of the flower. And on the other hand, is the cost of fighting against that disease pressure or pest mm-hmm. pressure. So one of the key advantages that we have in specific regions in Peru that I know you know personally very well, which is the coastline, 
okay, with a little bit of altitude. So the coastline going into the mountains between something between the 200 and maybe the 800, even a thousand meters of altitude, you have a space where because we are a sub equatorial desert, uh, because of some of the sea currents, uh, ocean currents that operate from the country, we have no rain or very little rain. It is amazing. Exactly. And since the water is available through the irrigation process that came from the, from the mountains, you have water available from the soil up, but no rain or humidity falling into the crop. That creates an environment that is drier than the equivalent that you can find in most areas in Colombia, and you don't have the rain. So first, you don't need to protect really flowers from that rain. Okay, so the, the, the greenhouses, if you use them, will be lighter. Second, you don't have to fight for, for so much pest pressure because the environment is drier. And that makes a difference that adds those couple of points, you know, two, three, four cents that will make the difference in the case of Colombia. Yeah, and you know, that's, that's a really good point you raised. I think, you know, most people, when they think of Peru, they think of Machu Picchu. People are outside of Peru and they see the all the green around Machu Picchu in the pictures and occasionally they see a picture from Cusco, but it's still very green and they don't, nobody recognize, very few people recognize until they're there that most of Peru is, or a large chunk of it is actually a desert and it, you know, goes further south into, when you get into Bolivia, you hit the Atacama and Chile and, you know, that's the driest place on earth, but driving you know driving around peru it's there's massive sand dunes everywhere and you're you know lucky to get a millimeter of rain which is like a 30 second one thirty second of an inch no. yet you've got massive rivers coming out of the andes that are both above ground and underground that are bringing incredible amounts of water which cannabis needs to all of the growing areas which is why as you said, blueberries was a crop that was brought to Peru, and I think Peru is now the largest producer of Peru exactly. blueberries, and it's been less than a decade. And yeah. avocados is another massive, and asparagus are two other massive crops that, you know, at, even 20 years ago, Peruvian production was insignificant. Mm -hmm. But the supply is there. It's everything from a nature's perspective. And you're right, the pests are more controllable. And especially through even a biodynamic farming model where you use the other local pests to eat each other, it's, uh, it's ideal. But, you know, obviously labor costs are um, favorable in Peru, to, mm -hmm. to put it relative to everything else. Power isn't an issue um, for these kinds of operations because you're able to use nature for most of it other than drying facilities. Where do you see the challenges from, a, from an operating perspective once a company gets going? Okay, so uh, the challenges, uh, I think, will be related to one of the things that you mentioned earlier, is that the way that the infrastructure, uh, the regulation has been established, uh, you don't expect hundreds and hundreds of licensees here. Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, the, the, the requirements are high, are expensive, okay? It's not only in, in, in financing, but in, in, in human capacity. Mm -hmm. So you will have, you know, a certain amount of license, I mean, but, but not as many as you can find in Colombia. So the cluster, the group, the industry itself will be possibly composed with 
some few companies. Okay, uh -huh. so one of the challenges is that these few companies that we can be capable of presenting as ourselves to the government and have them pay interest in the industry because there will be few players. Uh -huh. And we definitely decide, need the support and the assistance and, and, and of the government in order to make it through some of the steps that you already experienced in Colombia on the initial exports or establishing those annual estimates that all the countries put together in these international committees. So I think that that's one of the challenges because if we are not able to have enough, I would say, critical mass, we risk to be just left to the side, obviously able to operate, but not having the strong support of the government. For example, as you see in Colombia, when you know you have the, the export office, you have Pro-Colombia, uh -huh. sending cannabis companies abroad. So take, take the, taking them to a roadshow, I, I mean, I myself have received Pro-Colombia virtually, obviously last year. Uh -huh. They were introducing to me the potential uh, Colombian suppliers, which is great. But again, we will need some critical mass, some minimum number of companies in order to be able to attract the government's attention. Absolutely. And, you know, it's going to end up, I think, you know, Peru has the is going to end up with a blend of domestic companies and foreign companies that come in and invest and develop the industry together, I think uh, is a very likely path and very clear on a go forward basis. Yes. Yes. I mean, we, we have already in the internal market space have already uh, players that are international mm -hmm. in the market. Uh, so you have, for example, one of the first doing making news here was Kaidon from Colombia. Yep. Okay, they're pretty active. Uh, there has been news yesterday that uh, Laboratorios NOP from Chile has been mm -hmm. to register also product. Uh, we have we represent one company out of Uruguay with a finished product as well. So you have already international regional uh, companies uh, working in the internal uh, market as well, obviously as local companies as ours. No, right. Oh no, absolutely. Um, we do have to take one more break, but we will be back uh, for one more segment with Anders Vasquez from CanFarm. I'm Richard Zwicky on The Green Peak. The Green Peak will climb back into your podcast player after we play some messages from our sponsors. Hey, take a look at this. They're selling smart pots. <laughs> they have pot that can make you smart? Where is it? Not that kind of pot. Smart pots are the best aeration container to grow your plants. Check this out. This is the original fabric container for faster producing healthier plants. They're made with a superior fabric that delivers high yields. Plus, smart pots are reusable and sustainable, so you can use them over and over again, no matter if you use them indoor or outdoor. That's very smart, but how good are they for the environment? Smart pots are BPA-free and lead-free, so you'll always be able to ensure a pure, clean grow, and they're 100% made in the U.S. Over 28 million smart pots have already been sold, so it seems like a smart investment. Look for smart pots in close to 2,000 garden centers throughout North America and ask for the original fabric container. Find a store near you or order yours online at smartpots.com. Climbing our way up, up, up to the Cannabis Summit of Success. Cannabis Radio is back with more 
of the Green Peak. And we're back with Andres Vasquez from Can Farm and Andres. Um, you know, we've talked a little bit about international and, you know, the opportunities. And obviously, flour is going to be the big aspect of it. And there's going to be a drive towards UGMP and GACP certifications for the international perspective. But a big piece of that is also going to be the, the regional opportunities um, within LATAM. You know, people talk about Mexico opening up and eventually Mexico will have massive production, but it's the odds are its cost is still going to be higher than what's available in Peru. And Brazil is a huge market, obviously has its own requirements. That patchwork that exists, Mexico has one set of requirements. Obviously, Colombia has a different one. Peru has its own. Uh, Brazil has their requirements from a stability perspective that differ from everybody else. You know, Argentina is a big purchaser um, looking for product. How are you going to target? Who are you going to look at and how are you going to develop a regional strategy? Have you have you spent much time on that? Yes, uh, a little time, a little time, because uh, we really think that the regional approach may uh, make uh, much more sense in the short term than just aiming you no know, for the for the big international market that most companies are. Uh-huh. And uh, even though it is true, completely at this moment we see uh, different sets of regulation, and sometimes we 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 see it seems hard to make it uh, uh, work together. I think that there lies a big opportunity in the region. Well, I mean, Brazil, you mentioned, Brazil is obviously taking a lot of the attention because uh, since they set a regulation in a way that they are not allowed to cultivate yet, but uh-huh. only to import ingredients and, and, and at some moment final products, obviously a lot of people is paying attention to them as a market. But I think there are other opportunities that might be uh, interesting to consider. For example, a country like ours if the authorities continue in the way they, they're going, probably is gonna be a country where producing THC is gonna be very competitive, okay? But yes. we, might, we might encounter some other countries, maybe the, the Colombian regulation is more competitive on the CBD side, since you don't have the requirement to be a pharmaceutical entity as mm-hmm. here, okay? But, so I think that as a, as a region, there is an opportunity that countries where, I would say, I know it's appropriate to say it's like compensate one another. So some some countries will be more focused on certain parts of the industry, but as a whole, we think that this region will will receive some attention from the big international company at some point because, as we know in history, with time, companies will need new places to grow, and I think that our approach into South America or Latin America, it it, it will be interesting. Yeah, and it will be. And, you know, part of what you're speaking to, I know then, you know, when the regulations were framed, part of it was to set the highest standard across each of the areas of production to make the product um, saleable in every market. And while the, you know, com- countries like Israel have come uh, a long way, but have created all sorts of barriers through testing, which make it challenging for companies to operate, those mar- international markets still can be met um, by most of the regulatory framework. So the, what's nice to win them, with what you've done so far and with the way things are set up in Peru is what other countries are doing doesn't really matter because the Peruvian standard is so high, you've met those thresholds. And that's different from most other production areas. 
Yes, yes, and we and we saw that uh, advantage from the beginning, Richard. Uh, as you know, in the when we were working together and, and, and encountering in those meetings throughout the regulatory process, uh, we were looking at this uh, requirement, this high requirement to entry. Yes. Uh, very, very soon we saw that as an opportunity because. As, as you said, once you are licensed, as we are right now, you're already in a pharmaceutical standard. So then the rest of the of the road ahead is shorter than a company that just starts with a license and still need to go through all the pharmaceutical learning process. Well, well, exactly. And you know, that's always been an explanation for people that, you know, this industry is an agricultural production to a pharmaceutical standard. Mm-hmm. But most of the regulations weren't thought of that way. But in Peru... You know, all of the collaborators and the government did a phenomenal job. You know, they we complain sometimes about how fast governments move, but relative to everybody else, Peru moved very quickly through the process, even though, you know, we think it took too long. It actually moved quickly. Mm-hmm. But um, it was thought of from the start, you know, with, you know, with input from everybody that this is a pharmaceutical product from an agricultural source. And so it was it was structured accordingly, which has been phenomenal. You know, Andres, Can Farm is getting going. You're hoping to plant the first crop in June. And, you know, the the large as you said, the first crop won't be homogenous because of the nature of the development, but that's going to happen relatively quickly mm-hmm. uh, thereafter. And the non-homogeneity is not an issue for the production of distillate and isolate. And even for extract, um, it'll be, you know, it becomes a different factor when you get into flour, but that's, that's okay. That comes after anyhow. Um, Your first products to market, obviously you said you're going to focus on the domestic. And I know that, uh, you know, there's, you mentioned Chiron, I know Plan is imported into Peru as well uh, for distribution, which has been great. Um, Where are you seeing the demand domestically for what you're going to need to produce? Is it the distillate? Is it a refined oil? Um, obviously, you know, isolate is, I think, the last choice for a lot of people to work with. But, you know, sometimes you just have to do it. What, what are you looking to? No, I think that at the beginning, uh, because of several factors, distillates look uh, like the best way to, to start. Basically, because remember that um, during all this initial process, also the medical um uh, I would say uh, the medical space, the doctors are or, are also learning. Mm-hmm. And uh, during that learning process, they feel more confident in a product that is, I would say, more simple in its mm-hmm. composition. Okay. Yeah. So uh, um, the, the feedback that we already have, remember that we already work in training uh, MDs yeah. since uh, Q3 last year, mm-hmm. and um, is that they will feel more confident working in a distillate based product okay uh-huh. even more than a full spectrum because you know that that uh, variability is, is not yet uh, well managed by, by by the doctors that are new with this product yes and the pharmacists who it's yes, a very compound based industries um, in uh, in peru markets so that's also part of the curve andres we are out of time for today people who want to learn more about can farm uh, how do they find out more? Because I'm sure a lot of people are interested in from an international market perspective and what's developing in Peru. Well, I mean, we're more more than happy to share information and our experience. Uh, the best way possibly is through our website, which is www.canfarm.com. 
uh, Perfect. Tani, C-A-N-N, farm, uh, farm, agricultural farm. Mm-hmm. Excellent. So I'd invite listeners who have additional questions to check out the Can Farm site. And uh, from there, they can also send through questions to Andres. Um, and if you have any follow-ups, you know, as always, you can always drop us a line as well. Andres, thanks for joining us today. And it's been a pleasure. And congratulations again on the license. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks to everybody for listening. We'll be back again shortly. I'm Richard Zwicky on the Green Peak. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast, republication, or retransmission of this program without proper consent is prohibited. Hola, soy el abogado Nelson Baez, con la oficina de Smith Ball y Baez. Nosotros representamos víctimas de accidentes. En mi carrera, yo he ayudado a mis clientes a recuperar millones de dólares. Si has sido lesionado en un accidente, llama a Smith Ball y Baez. Yo le puedo explicar su caso en su idioma. Llámame a mí, Nelson Baez, 500-5555. You don't want to miss this event by Les Brown, the number one motivational speaker in the world and the keynote for the Hungry for Greatness virtual conference on Saturday, June 12th at 10 a.m. Eastern. For a limited time only, tickets are free. So sign up now while seats are available at hungrylegacy.com forward slash sign up. You'll be energized, inspired. You gotta be hungry for greatness.